welcome to the Billfish Republic podcast. This is episode two. My name is Chris. My name is Will, and we're the host of this show. Yes, sir. So Will and I have been grinding a little bit. We were goggle eye fishing last night till late. What a late night that was. Yeah, about 3 a.m. McDonald's was closed. Yeah, uh, 24 <laughs> no hour McDonald's was closed. Um, yeah, so what we have ramen and went to sleep. and uh, Woke up and did uh, apparel photos for the new website all day. Yep, apparel, yeah. Got a, our new hoodies. And we, we got a new website, guys. Yep, new website. New year, new things. Yep, new products, new website. Um, we wore some of the hoodies last night. We were goggle eye fishing. I think you had the uh, you had the new snapper one on, right? Yeah, I had the Rasta snapper design on. What is that hoodie? Uh, it's a, like a mid-weight hoodie with a Rasta-colored snapper design. So it's got the mutton, kubera, and dog snapper. See, that's um, something different because we've been doing a lot of billfish stuff over the the past couple months, past year. And I think this is the first this is the first shirt we have that's catered around the spearfishing community. Yeah, we did a lot of billfish-related shirts for Billfish Republic, but we're also a major spearfishing company, so probably more spearfishing than than billfishing. Definitely more spearfishing customers than gaff and harpoon customers for billfishing. But yeah, so yeah, goggle eye fishing was fun. How many did we we end up last? A couple hundred, I think. A couple hundred. We were fishing on the Pisces at Ocean Reef. So our uh, contribution to the tournament team is to throw them some goggle eye. So we went out there, did some product testing. It was pretty cold, so we had our new beanie on. Our beanie with the Billfish Republic anchor, and we were wearing our hoodies out there. Dude, I haven't been goggle eye fishing in a minute. That was a that was a eye opening experience that yeah, I completely it was forgot about. Probably been ten years for me. It's probably plus four or five years for me. Yeah, I mean, we used to do that. Uh, we used to sell goggle eye for a good minute uh, back when I was working on boats full time, and uh, so yeah, it's much different when you don't get to pick your nights and you got to go on uh, windy night. Uh, but it was nice. It was nice and calm. Besides being a little cold, that was the uh, that was the downside. But it was calm, which was yeah. nice. And hopefully, dropping our first bait in the water wasn't a uh, yeah. A so preview the view of twenty twenty one. The the very first bait we caught last night, the very first one, putting it into the live well, skipped off the transom of the boat into the water. Not a good start. Yeah, we, we might have want to skip to twenty twenty two already if that's the way it's gonna go. <laughs> Oh man, you know what's crazy is is you know like you said you hadn't fished in ten years, and I I really you know I've done a little bit of gog fishing, but it was usually down in Isle Morada. I never really fished out in front of Ocean Reef. We fished, you know, one of the spots, one of the same spots we used to fish ten years ago, and they're still there. Yeah, goggle eyes are still breeding strong. They're still out there. Yeah, we used to go out there commercially catching them and sell them, and that was our same drift. I guess we haven't done it in ten years. We couldn't tell you why they moved we were kind of at a loss for words why we reset the drift and they weren't there again but yeah so what happens when you don't do it for a living anymore for a little insight i don't know if i guess we didn't tell you guys earlier but yeah our first drift we we caught them pretty good and then the second drift me and chris were sitting there looking at each other like what is going on there's no fish on the screen we're not catching anything what changed and then uh we reset again and there they were back (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the wind picked up, but I wouldn't think that that had anything to do with it. But, yeah, so we're not going to be here talking about goggle eye fishing forever, right? So we got some guests. We got a guest coming on tonight, Christian Hernandez. We'll get into him in a little bit and what his involvement with Billfish Republic was. Uh, But we also got some other guests that we're speaking to to bring on the podcast that are going to give the real fishing information that's not really coming from you or I who 
do it fishing sporadically, but these guys that really do it all the time. Uh, so we got some fishing mates that, you know, maybe Dominican Republic, St. Thomas, fishing the tournament circuit, and, you know, work on boats full time, kind of get a feel for like what they do daily, what their daily grind is like, what it's like to work on a top, you know, tournament fishing boat, traveling boat. Uh, and we're also going to get some guys in there that don't necessarily fish that much, but enjoy working in the industry as a whole and, and enjoy working on boats and, and things of that nature that we're going to bring on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and also guys that like to get in the water and dive and use the pole spears. Uh, so hopefully we get some good stories and some good tips and tricks and, you know, things from good divers that go diving all over the Bahamas, uh, really experienced guys, uh, good photographers, good hunters. It's funny, a lot of these guys don't like to talk and definitely don't like to talk on a, on a podcast. So it's interesting to try to get them on there. But just like today, we were talking to two commercial guys and mentioned them being on the podcast and they were pretty fired up about getting on it which was kind of surprising at first, but I guess, you know, like you're, you sit out there all night not talking to anybody, you're willing to talk on a show then. Yeah, they're, they're just wanting somebody to speak to. But yeah, kind of like you and I, we don't really get on podcasts and talk that much, but we got to do it, and we're trying to make this a, a cool podcast, something worth listening to, so hopefully the more we do, the more people want to kind of get on it. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so fishing mates, divers, commercial fishermen, Industry workers. Industry workers. And like tonight's guest, Christian, he's fishes a lot, dives. And we're also going to talk about his industry stuff, what else he does in the industry, outside the industry, but outdoors in general. Christian was, Christian was the first guy that worked with you too, correct? Yeah. So he's the first guy that worked for me for, you know, full time, you know, basically when we really started selling a lot of spears. So a lot of the new the stuff that we did back then was thanks to him. But yeah, getting into his snake hunting, works for an airboat tour company, family owned, uh, does youth guided hunts. Now he works in the welding industry, you know, doing T-tops and casting platforms and all those things that are aluminum based for boats. So be cool to hear from him about the early days of Billfish Republic and what yeah, we definitely. would do during work, after work, how we did it. I Real met Christian a couple times and his stories and his kid, he's well-rounded. He does a lot, knows a lot. Definitely. Comes from a good family, too, starting with Fun Fish Albert, the dad. For all you guys that uh, don't fish, go follow Fun Fish Al on Instagram. Yeah. he's. I mean, when I first started fishing, it was you heard about Fun Fish, and he was top captain running, you know, badass boats, and it was always, you know, looking up to him to be to what we wanted to be as a mate. As coming up in the game was trying to be like Fun Fish this guy Funfish, you know, he's like, man, he's got to be fun to fish with. <laughs> so it's always kind of like, it's a good name to have, but you don't get a good name like that, you know, unless you kind of deserve it. So, but yeah, he's got Christian, he's got two brothers, Dylan and Evan, and they're both great fishermen. They're both outdoorsmen. So it's kind of family thing for them. So, uh, so yeah, Funfish called me one day and uh, told me his son was coming up to my area uh, to go to school, so he asked me if you know there's any possibility he could work with me while he was up in the area. I said yes right away because apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So I figured I'd give him a shot, and it was a it's a great thing. So we're gonna bring Christian on right now and get so this going. We got on the show our first guest ever, but I figured we'd bring somebody who was 
part of Billfish Republic from the beginning. Christian Hernandez, say hello to everybody. What's up? Yeah, so Christian's dad called me and wanted to give him a job. Uh, he was going up to school in my way, so Christian came over, and uh, Christian was a hands-on guy uh, working on some other projects. You were working with a, um, a sticker-making machine making some Solo cups, or uh, Yeti cups, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I was painting tumblers and Yeti cups and things like that, using just regular spray paint, clear coat. Having a lot of problems with that, and we had a buddy who had a sticker machine, a vinyl machine, uh, so we started using that to kind of create some designs on them. That was kind of a mission, but that was pretty much my basis with working with those types of products, and then moving on to you definitely helped out big time. Yeah, so I was starting to get real busy with making pole spears, and uh, people wanted them all custom. Um, I needed help with somebody who could glue who understood gluing, who you know would learn from me the way I wanted to glue stuff, but also could run the sticker machine, which is how we customized all the stuff. And that's kind of like, I mean, that took a long time, right, Christian? I mean, how long will we spend on one of these spears yeah. getting it customized? I mean, you, from start to finish, as far as building the spears and then going to customizing them, it would take about a week or so, two right. weeks at times. For sure. Depending on how much, because we were doing things in bulk as well. So, and then with the orders that were coming in, so we were using a lot of like, there was a lot of spears that were taken blue. We'd go and knock those out. Um, the hardest thing was just picking the font for certain words and names and things like that. We we're trying to, I was really trying to just match the fonts with the style of the person, really going by their social media, which was pretty cool as well, because we were kind of like studying our customers in a way. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, we would have a customer send that he wanted a blue, you know, futuristic uh, spear. And kind of what I would do is I would get a order sheet and give it to Christian. And it would say the customer's name, maybe had their Instagram on it. If I got the order through Instagram and I'd say, here, Christian, here's a blue spear. And he wants, you know, such and such a name on it. And then he'd ask me like, well, what 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 does what he what has it, I don't know we don't know what he wants on it um, and he probably doesn't know either so we go to his Instagram and maybe look and see if he had some sort of style on there, um, which is one of the great things about Christian is I would give him that and come back you know an hour later and he'd have the spear mocked up with this with the sticker on it uh, and it would just look great because he knew how to run the sticker machine he knew how to f figure out what looked good and he knew how to run the program. Yeah, the, the, the sticker machine, that's, uh, that's something else. I remember the first time I, I ever met Chris, I came over and I wanted a, a sticker of a, of a marlin or a swordfish or something to, <clears throat> to put on a cooler. And Chris was like, yeah, here, I'll print it out, and, and there you go. Pull it out. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm like, is it just a sheet I pull up? He's like, no, you have to go through individually each little line, and you have to peel it off and take it off and I was like yeah you have was, to weed it out I was like you sit here all day long and do this and he was like yeah that's why it takes so long I was I literally sat here for I think two hours trying to get all the little pieces out of the sticker just so it looked normal yeah, yeah. there was there, sorry for interrupting there was times uh I mean we'd have to do five or six snappers and I'm just like damn that's a lot of weeding I need to do a lot of little pieces I need to pick out I mean, using an X-Acto knife or like a razor blade and just trying to get that right piece where you can just take it off in one 
in one pool. Yeah, I mean, so it, it really is not that easy to do some of the, the fish that we do for these stickers. So Guru C. Levi designed all the art. That kind of just made it, his style of his art is thin lines in like geometric patterns and it creates all these little pieces that you need to weed out on the sticker machine. So in the early days before we had the sticker cutting machine, I would go to like a Signs, uh, Signs R Us or Speedy Signs and ask them to make a sticker and they basically told us it was impossible. Uh, so that was part of you know having Christian there being able to work the sticker machine and put all these different colors and these different designs. I mean, we had people that wanted the South African flag, the Bahamian flag, an American flag, um, all different kinds of flags, uh, all different kinds of names, different layering, some of the fish on a spear, and you imagine how small the fish needs to be to land to fit on a spear. Uh, the professional companies didn't want to do it, but we were able to figure out how to do it, um, which is just tedious work. I mean, Christian and I would just set up shop there, and you were going to college. Yeah, I was up at FAU. Well, I guess I could say I was up at FAU, but I was just south of where we were working in West Palm, FAU and Boca. And uh, I was going there for ocean engineering and driving 45 minutes up north to Chris to go work over there at the house, or essentially the shop. <laughs> right? Even though it was, it, was, it was where Chris was living the at. The house but, shop. Yeah, the Swap house shop. shop. I mean, it's definitely, it was my first experience, like, working in a shop environment, but in an actual house that somebody was living in. <laughs> and, I mean, it wasn't that big of a house either. And we had stuff everywhere, but like they say, an organized mess is an yeah. organized mess. Yeah, um, I mean, like they we, say, everything started from a garage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was it was a lot of fun. So you would come up like after school, and mm -hmm. you'd come Before. up sometimes in my house around three, four, five o'clock, and we'd be we'd be grinding out spears till ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, a mean, lot of times. So we really it. weren't working like a normal nine to five, and we were just kind of like doing our thing, yeah. uh, you know, jamming out, listening to music. I mean, we pissed our neighbor off, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, our the back neighbor Elsbeth. God bless Elizabeth, man. She <laughs> she was a trooper. She she knew we were on the grind, and sometimes I'd be out there and be polishing or grinding or cleaning out all the spears and stuff. Because I mean, preparing the spears was a big project for the yeah, as far as the shafts was a big project that we had to ensure that when we glued these spears together the glue was in contact with as much as possible inside the spear to ensure that the spear is the strongest that it could be. Um, so that goes with sanding inside. Uh, I'm not going to give everything out. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good, but the sander yeah, made a lot like of noise. It's a recipe, man. And, and with music, I mean, we'd be out there for hours, hours on end, just working on different stuff. And we're... What I liked working with Chris as well, which I appreciated, and I'm the same type of way. I can't work in silence. I, I'm, I'm a very hyper, I guess I can say, hands-on type of person. If I'm feeling comfortable, especially with music around where I can vibe to, that's a big thing. I'm about vibe, and Chris and I had the same taste in music, and we were into the same thing, so working and listening to music and just pumping products out and knowing we were doing the best we could do at the quickest time as far as uh, sending out products in the quickest time as possible. It was, it was 
pretty cool. Yeah, that I mean, that was a, I mean, the, looking back on like the early days, like the energy that you and I had making spears, I don't know why we never thought to put on headphones, but like, I think we just <laughs> thought it would be cooler if we just blasted music. So, so you would be outside in a tent that we had where we were sanding, polishing, those made noise. Those machines yeah. already made noise. Well, it's the headphones. I tried wearing headphones with that, but it was scary because, I mean, working with a big buffing wheel or even a, a handheld grinder or a drill or something, if that, the, the headphones gets caught up in that, I mean, yeah, that's there goes your true. headphones. <laughs> that's definitely true. Yeah, and some of those machines that we have, the polishing. And they're you know, just so loud. If you get wrapped up in that thing, it's going to make you do a somersault. But, but yeah, well, that was part of the vibe in the beginning of Bill Fish Republic was, you know, just playing music. We would, we had, remember we had two cell phones and we would have one live on Instagram going while we were doing something while you were either polishing or weeding out stickers and I'd be in the other room or doing something, talking to customers and organizing orders and boxing and shipping. Uh, just a great time. Um, we'd have a lot of fun times outside of work too. I mean, we'd go fishing, we'd go bass fishing, we'd go hunting, we'd go snook fishing. I mean, we'd be up till who knows what time, till real late. Uh, working on spears, and then we'd go have some fun afterwards. Yeah, I mean, that was the main thing. We were we were working late, too, as far as me going to school as well, and uh, we'd stay up late working, so when we'd have our music blasting at 9, 10, 11 o'clock, the neighbors, I mean, especially Elsbeth leaving right behind us, she'd come out, and she'd scare me because it'd be dark, and I'm there working by myself, and she'd either go inside the house and tell Chris to turn down the music or because, like, I was working, so she didn't want to bother me. But then sometimes she just couldn't get a hold of Chris, so she'd come and, like, scare me from the back. And I was just like, oh, crap. But she'd be like, can you just turn down the music or at least change the music style, like jazz? And I was like, oh, Beth, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't work to <laughs> jazz. Like, yeah, exactly. It's not the vibe. It's so mostly, like, rap or country or something. She's like, the country I can do, but as long as it's not too loud. And I'm like, well, these machines are loud, so I need, I need the, music, the, like, like the music to overpower it. But, I mean, I, I definitely understood her pain as far as with that. But staying out late, like, we'd, we'd work late, and then sometimes, like, the tide would be perfect when we'd take a break, and we're like, damn, let's just go fish, and it'd be, like, 12 o'clock at night. Yeah. Or we'd just go hit the woods and see what we can just find out there, just kind of busting out last-minute adventures and just kind of doing as much as we could. Yeah, I remember I'd come up to Christian, I'd say, hey, man, when you finish that, you want to go fishing? And he'd say, yeah, for sure, let's do it. So we'd finish what we were doing pack the ginu up in the back of the truck and go fish. Um, another funny thing about that, you know, the beginning early days when we were working on the side of the house in the tents, uh, my, the neighbor ended up buying the house that I was renting. Uh, and their question when they bought the house was if we did any environmental damage to the property while we were working there. They thought that we polluted the ground and that we made, uh, you know, I don't know what they thought the runoff was from the glue or whatever. I mean, there probably was. I mean, we probably did some stuff. I mean, I know in the house we had loaded some of the spears and they ended up shooting. I ended up letting them go and they flew across the house and made some holes inside the doors and the cabinets. Um, Wait, time out. You were shooting spears inside the house? I mean, yeah, we're just so excited <laughs> to kind of, you know, get the spear rolling and get it going and trying out a new band. And we, we would shoot it at a target in the backyard and kind of mess around. But there was times, yeah, I shot. I, was a, I remember there was, a, there was a hole in one of the cabinets in the kitchen, and there was a hole in one of the bedroom doors from the spear. Kind Wasn't of there a hole in the ceiling as well? 
Probably. So I think closer to like the kitchen, if I remember right. Probably. That probably wasn't even from a spear. Probably. But speaking <laughs> to the speaking to the the owner of the house who was in the fishing industry, he has a boat and he fishes and he actually owns a boat that I used to work on when I was younger, so we had a connection there. But he told me that they were going to demolish the house when it was all done, so he didn't care what I did there because they were just going to kind of like keep the structure but redo the whole house, which is what they ended up doing. The house is still there. It's beautiful. Um, so anyways, that came to an end. The guy wanted to put the house up for sale, and I moved back to Miami and then ended up moving here to Homestead. Christian came back to Miami, and then we both kind of separated ways. Christian... Wanted to go do work with his family, uh, their airboat business, and he got into a whole bunch more things. So really want to get Christian on the podcast because he was one of the first integral people for Bill Fish Republic and also get into like the rest of his life and coming down from Funfish, his dad and his brothers and kind of the, the lifestyle of the family, running the business that they run and living the, the life that they live, uh, you know, it's amazing, really so you came back down to Miami. I moved to Homestead, and yeah, where did right, you start it next? Right, it was actually right after Irma, right? Yeah, soon after, after Irma. Irma hit. Yeah, yeah. I came down for a week. Um, came down like a day right before the uh, before the hurricane hit, um, just to kind of be with my brothers and my family and stuff. Because I mean, it was looking like it was gonna get nasty. So, captain goes down with the ship. So I was okay. gonna go back home and at least stay with the fam. See what we can do at least try to survive because I mean it was going to be nasty we got we got lucky with that but I went down for a week and then I came back up and when I came back up Chris was like yo the landlord just told us we got to get out of here and I was like damn all right like let's go so I came back and that's when we were just starting as far as our family business with running private airboat tours in the Everglades um, we had just started that as far as doing it on our own and uh, I really wanted to help out my dad especially with getting that ball rolling. So Chris, we well, we moved back down and Chris continued doing his thing. And um, as far as product sales and stuff like that, really didn't slow down, but Chris was able to manage it by himself because we had, we had done so much when we were in Palm Beach that we were able to keep up with that as he was able to keep up with that. Um, and then of course I went and uh, went to the airboat stuff What's the name we're, of the airboat business? Uh, Miami Everglades Connection. Yeah. Uh, so we're running, we're running trips right behind uh, the Miccosukee Casino. If you guys look us, look us up on Instagram, uh, we are at Miami Everglades Connection, or you can also find us on MiamiEvergladesConnection.com if you want to look up our website. We also have the Inshore Connection. The Inshore Connection ties into Miami Everglades Connection because as far as when we think about South Florida, it's all the Everglades. Uh, but as far as the inshore connection, that's mostly our inshore uh, backcountry and Everglades fishing charters. So if you guys are looking for any fishing that you want to do, either coming down and visiting friends or if you guys are locals as well and don't have a boat, we uh, can definitely accommodate you with that. So Christian's dad works on an offshore boat. Christian was diving and fishing with the dad. You guys also have a airboat-based business for the Everglades, and you guys are also having inshore fishing. Yeah. So it's kind of like across all spectrums, and you've helped me build the products, and you're in some other industry now where you're also building more marine products. Yeah, so, so I, got, like I the, got into welding. The vast array of things that the family does is, you know, pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, as far as what else I'm doing now. So the airboat business. So what were you doing there? 
the airboat stuff. I was when I, you were when you were working for the airboat company. Yeah, uh, we originally started with the private airboat business mainly uh, with another company, and I was mostly just hosting, meeting the families and the clients and things like that, and showing them to the boats. Uh, I wasn't really into driving an airboat. I'd done it before, but as far as running trips and doing tours, uh, I wasn't really into it. I thought I could do it, but I never stepped into that realm. Uh, but when we came back and started our own business, I actually started running trips uh, and running tours, and I absolutely fell in love with it. The only thing that I didn't like, which I knew was going to happen, was the repetition. I could live out there driving an airboat, I mean, day and night. But as far as coming back to the same ramp and things like that, me being the captain and doing that six, seven, eight times a day, uh, I'm not much into repetition, which is why working with Chris as far as with Bill Fisher Public and doing all the customizing and designing, I really liked because every day I went to work was something different. We were working on something different. I always had different designs to think about and and plan out and actually make make and bring to life, which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and you also started speaking a lot when you're on the airboat too, because you had to give a like a you had to show them around. You were a guide, right? So you yeah, had to kind so of put a headphone and, and mic on and do kind of what we're doing now. Yeah. I feel like there was a change from you where you were kind of quiet and reserved, but now you're a lot more outspoken, a lot more experienced, but you were kind of like talking a lot more on the airboat, right? Yeah, definitely doing the tours and and having to spit out facts to people and make them understand, especially having a lot of people from out of the country that don't speak much English or so to say, understand English. Um, it definitely opened up my eyes as far as, okay, I can, and it brought out the confidence as well to speak to other people um, openly about things and have them understand me enough where they can enjoy themselves uh, as much as they could. There's a lot of people that come out of the country and first time in the United States and they're wanting to try something out in the Everglades uh, as far as being outdoors and they were scared. You'd get a lot of people that are scared. I mean, even locals, there's a lot of people who've never been on a boat or so to say an airboat and they're white knuckles on the boat and you have to kind of help them break out of that so that they can feel as comfortable as possible. Uh, so doing that definitely worked out big time with me. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the very first times I went on an airboat, actually the very first time I went on an airboat um, out in the Everglades, we went to some camp like miles, miles deep into the Everglades, and the kid we were with, on the way out, he, he kept telling us, oh yeah, I have, I have enough gas, I have enough gas, I'm like, are you sure, are you sure? We ran out of gas, and we were stranded in the middle of the Everglades, oh, <laughs> the Everglades, no cell phone service, he's in the water waiting around like in the water while I'm holding up my phone in the air to try to find cell phone service just so we could send somebody coordinates to where we were. And, I was, and everything looks the same when you're out there. Like you could look around and do a full like 360 around the boat and it all it all looks the same once you get was far this, enough out was there. Was this a, during the day or at night? Day. And then turned into the night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that, it could get pretty serious out there, um, which is it's pretty cool where we run out of, like I said, we're off of 8th Street and Chrome Avenue, uh, which is... Tamiami Trail or Highway 41 and 
Uh, State Road 177. I think it's State Road or Interstate. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Um, and I've been on that road I don't know how many times. And we live right by it, too. Um, but, yeah, we're right there, right behind the Mikasuki Gaming Casino. And it's pretty cool because when we leave the ramp, you have the casino. And you can see pretty much a lot of buildings from Miami um, to your back. And when you're heading out there into the glades, it just looks like you're in the middle of nowhere. But when you turn around, you turn your back around, and you see the casino, you see everything else, you're like, damn, we're really close to civilization. But when you turn back and you look forward, you're like, wow, there's, it's just so vast. I mean, yeah, here in Florida, we're very, we got very flat terrain. So just like being out on the ocean, just, that's, that's what brings out the beauty as well, which is the vastness. Um, which I absolutely love. I love. Christian, I know you're, you're into a little bit of snake hunting. Is that how you got into snake hunting? Was being out in the Everglades with, like, with the airboat stuff? or? Yeah, so as far as being out in the Everglades, I mean, my dad's been taking me out there in his backpack since before I could walk, like in the Big Cypress. He used to hunt the Big Cypress a lot. Um, but the getting into the airboat industry, uh, that is pretty much how I got into to the snake hunting. I kind of knew about it before, but I'm not fond of reptiles as far as manhandling them. I just, the reptiles kind of creep me out. Um, snakes, <laughs> lizards, nah. Okay. If I don't have to mess with them, I'm not gonna mess with them. Yeah, because yeah, I never thought of you as liking snakes or reptiles. Yeah, which, uh, which- Maybe you still don't like them, but you catch them. Yeah, um, the pythons, them being invasive, uh, I do, enjoy catching them. Uh, for me, I guess, so to say, I can relate it to skydiving. It's one of those things that my mind tells me no, but my body continues going, and that's where I can switch my mind to say, okay, I'm gonna commit with no hesitation. Um, and I'm afraid of heights too, in a way. Even though I do a lot of hunting, I do a lot of tree hunting. Um, getting up into a tree, will scare me usually, but I know how to power through that and just stick it out um, and get comfortable enough where I can stick it out. But with this snake hunting, it was pretty wild. The first time I actually went snake hunting, I caught a nine-footer, and I ended up falling in the water with it because it was completely submerged in about knee-deep knee water. And it was three of us. We got in the water, and the first guy missed it, and he started slipping away, and he kind of made a lot of wakes in the water and I was able to see it and I grabbed it and when I was walking back with it I grabbed it on the back end and I was walking back I like tripped over myself because I was freaking out I never thought I I mean I'd never even grabbed a snake ever before and I have friends with pet snakes and red tail boas and things like that I don't even grab those and those those snakes you can put it on a kitchen counter and he'll just be right there in front of you with no care in the world about you like they won't even strike at you or nothing so grabbing that snake was definitely an experience that I will never forget Yeah, my I, first snake. I, I can relate to you. I, I hate snakes. <laughs> Absolutely hate snakes. And one of the first times, I know my buddy Hunter and uh, this kid John at the time, they were telling me, oh, we got to go snake hunting. We got to go snake hunting. And they're like, you know, Alvarez is going to go. And I was like, all right, Chris is going to go. Then, then I'm going to go. And so meet at Chris's house. We went with, uh, with Ultimate Heat Up. Um, and I remember the first time snake hunting, they're like, this this guy we went with, he had this platform on his truck, and um, we pull up to the first like hole or whatever. When he's looking in the ravine, trying to see if there's a snake, like I guess underground, like in the piping or whatever that runs under like the 
those uh, yeah, levees or whatever. Yeah, off the levees is rock. <laughs> and rock uh, he's like, you're going to come down and grab it? I was like, I'm not moving out of the top of this truck <laughs> off this platform. I was like, I'll stand here and watch. And Chris was like, come on. Chris jumps down there. He's like, with a flashlight looking for him. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, dude, you're out of your mind. I'm like, I'll sit here with the spotlight and shine and look for him, but I'm not getting out of the yeah, truck. Yeah, I'm the supervisor. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that first snake, first time ever going snake hunting, that first snake really got me hooked. Um, and then since then, I've pretty much that's been my main thing uh, as far as hunting. I'm into deer hunting and pig hunting and things like that. But after that first snake, I was I was hooked. I got the bug for a hundred percent. Started going by myself because I was going with people who were experienced. Uh, I started going by myself. Uh, going with friends and things like that. Uh, the first thing I actually caught without experienced people was with uh, my two buddies, Keel and Curly. We call him Curly. He's got a curly head. Uh, Austin. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a crazy experience too, man. That was another nine-footer. Um, when did you get into, uh, like, the contract hunting, like, like with the state? Uh, so, man getting contracted I got contracted last year uh I won there was a python bowl in January during the super bowl and entered it we won it my brother and I Dylan applied to the to the program as far as the snake programs uh it's FWC and South Florida Water Management District they have two python elimination programs I've applied to them within the recent years and never really heard anything back but after we won this tournament uh, that's what really put my name out there, and they kind of put a face to the application. So they had hired me, and within two months, I had caught about 15 snakes. I mean, I'll work, I'm working. But what, what, what do you get when you get to be a contract hunter? What does that mean? You get the keys? So, you, yeah, you pretty much get a master key, so to say, to most of the levee systems and canal systems that run through South Florida. Uh, I guess you could say the restricted areas from the public. Those are all those yellow gates that are yeah. on all the levees. Yeah, those yellow pipe gates uh, come with like the industrial locks and things like that. Uh, so we get the key for that and they equip us with a box, snake bags, snake hook, and a GPS system. Now as far as the GPS system, whenever you go out for a hunt, or they actually call it a survey because what we're doing is we are surveying the lands for invasive species. Uh, with these snakes, they are invasive to South Florida. They are pretty much taking over South Florida in a very, very negative way. They're absolutely terrorizing our wildlife and terrorizing our wildlife is affecting our vegetation and our water as well because all that comes into play big time in, in an ecosystem like we have. So with these snakes, what we're doing is we're eliminating them from specific areas. So with the GPSs, you have to clock in and clock out every time you go in and out of one of these gates. Uh, so the GPS is cool because it tracks your whole survey as far as your route that you're taking throughout the survey and you have to turn those tracks in every time. Uh, I guess, yeah, every time you go out, you have to turn in those tracks to the program that you're with. And that is how they figure out where you are at at any given point and where you're actually catching the snake. 
So, like, what was the biggest snake that you caught while you were in the program? Uh, in the program, the biggest snake that I caught was an 11, I was probably like 11, 5, 11, 6. Um, but I haven't come across anything bigger than 15, 6. Uh, you think so, a 15-footer could kill a human? Oh, a 7-footer can kill a human. A 6-footer. Oh. If he gets around you in the right area, if he comes around your neck uh, or your torso area and you're not able to remove him off of you or have somebody else remove the snake off of you, you will you will die. As far as with a constrictor. I mean, there is venomous snakes out there. Right. But it's using its power to overtake you. Yeah. It's pretty cool because as far as a constrictor... What happens is when you breathe in, when you when you inhale, you are expanding your lungs, you're expanding your chest cavity. Uh, let's say the snake's around your chest. Uh, you're expanding your chest cavity, so he's going to go with you. Then when you exhale and everything starts contracting, he's going to contract with you, and he's going to contract a little bit tighter than what you normally go, and then he's going to stay there. And then he's going to allow you to inhale again, take in a breath, but it's going to be a lot shorter than the first one that you took. And then when you exhale, because you have to exhale, he's going to squeeze down tighter, and there goes that. It's just Oof. a repetitive uh, uh, It's just a repetitive process that these constrictors do to go and kill whatever they need to kill so that they can eat it. Because they're, they're eating ground-nesting birds, rabbits, I mean, even some bigger things. Yeah. Probably uh, from wild, wild um, uh, livestock. Yeah, they're eating a lot of birds. Uh, from from babies, as far as from when they're hatching from the egg, they're eating a lot of frogs, lizards, ice rats, uh, smaller birds. Like the smaller snakes, they'll, they'll hang out in the trees. Uh, but as they get older and they get bigger as well, they get heavier, they don't really hang out in the trees too much. And they just lurk around on the ground and eat raccoons and possums. And nice. they, they've, they've been, the people got videos of them eating gators. Um, Damn, my brother actually seen uh, about an eight or nine foot croc, a saltwater crocodile, because we have those down south here too. Had seen like an eight or nine foot croc with a giant python in his mouth. So he had the snake by the head, and we're talking about an eight foot nine croc, and the snake was about double its length past the croc, just swimming on the surface. And the snake was kind of bloated, so who knows if the croc actually killed the snake um, or if the snake was already dead and the croc came up on it. But the snake was kind of bloated, so he was floating. Um, and the croc would try to go down because uh, they were my brother and two of our friends. They were riding bike down a, down a canal system on a dirt road. And there's, it was pretty close to them. And the croc was just kind of startled by them. He was trying to go underwater and take the snake with him. And he just couldn't take the snake down. Wow. He just couldn't take it down. So, yeah, these snakes are eating everything, but there is things that are killing these snakes as far as our larger reptiles, like our alligators and and our, our crocs. Hey, what's crazy is that there is a lot of videos out there. I've never seen it myself, but turkeys. Turkey kill, and they will eventually eat a snake. Really? Which wow, is that's pretty crazy. Cool. Yeah. A smaller one, obviously. Yeah, a smaller snake. So, yeah. so you're doing... You're having fun, and you're doing something good for the South Florida ecosystem, which is awesome, which kind of what the family's about, right? And it's all, of, all, all around outdoorsmen. Yeah, we're big time into converse, uh, conversation. We're big time into conservation, uh, especially out here in South Florida, mostly because of our water. Nice. 
By the way, I got an 11 footer in the freezer right over here. Nice. Uh, we, we caught it, or a friend of mine caught it down here in Homestead in an agricultural area. So they do get into kind of the residential areas. Yeah, I, which is I pretty just, crazy. I just picked up a snake from a friend who caught one <clears throat> right, by, right by the winery uh, a few nights ago. He dropped it off to me yesterday so I can skin it up for him. Uh, these snakes, when, when I do catch these snakes, I do skin them and I utilize, well, I'm going to eventually start utilizing the skins more more than anything because these snakes are actually very beautiful. Yeah, they are invasive and yeah, they're ruining the ecosystem. Uh, but these snakes, they are very valuable with with the skin that they have because they have a very, very beautiful pattern on them. So I made you a snake gaff with two hooks. It was for your friend of yours, Sebastian. Yeah. But you got me the snake skin. You caught that one out here somewhere, right? Yeah. The, the, you gave me a handful of them, so I don't yeah. know where that one you so got So it was a bunch of hatchlings that I caught from this last hatchling season. So you gave me like a three-foot piece, and I wrapped it around the gaff, epoxied over it, carbon fiber, accents and stuff. We made that one for your friend Sebastian, right? Yeah. Now, that's the first time I've ever worked with snakeskin, but... Hopefully there's more to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a couple more. No, I got another guy that wanted one too. Stuff. I got that the eleven footer in the freezer and the freezer is gonna go to somebody to make a, a handbag for my girlfriend. So. Nice, nice. Yeah, I wanna get into sewing. I haven't really found the time to do that because I mean with work, I'm, as far as work, what I'm doing now, I'm not running the airboat anymore. Um, I'm actually welding. I got into welding. Uh, I started over there at Robert Morgan. At the, at the vocational center, um, got into it with a buddy of mine, Nick. Uh, actually, thank you, Nick, for getting me into it. I mean, I was kind of into it, but once I saw that he actually applied, I was like, all right, that motivated me more than anything to go and apply. Um, so I applied, I got in, and we started that together. And within the first three months, uh, our teacher was like, all right, you guys, if you guys keep this up, you're going to become professionals. And that, motiva that motivated us even more to continue with it. Uh, but after the first three months, uh, that was the end of the first semester. And I was really debating on whether going back for another semester or to just get back into it later again because was, it was a lot of money that I had to pull out of pocket as well um, to be doing that. And I already pretty much had the basis of of welding, but my dad called me two weeks after the semester ended, and uh, he was like, hey man, going back into welding or what? Because I know the semester ended. I was like, uh, I don't know, maybe I might. I still have another week to, to apply, pay for the next semester, so I think I'm gonna give it a few days. He's like, oh, well, I just left uh, JC's shop, which JC, he owns Marine Welding. Uh, we're right across the street from Eric's Outboard, if you guys are familiar with Eric's Outboard. Um, it was a welding, it's a, it's a welding shop, a fabrication shop, uh, it's mostly aluminum, we deal with a lot of aluminum. Um, we got a lot of work done as far as on our airboats and our skiff uh, within the last few years. So when my dad called me up saying that JC actually needed some help over there at the shop, and if I was willing to learn how to weld aluminum, I took the opportunity real quick. I was like, yeah. <laughs> this is this is pretty much the opportunity that I was that I was pretty much thinking about if I were to stop welding and maybe get back into it later. Uh, so it came up right away, and I took it and 
I gave I gave JC a call and it was on a Thursday, so he was like, "All Your right." Dad's gotten you a lot of jobs, huh? Yeah, man. That, uh, <laughs> I, I've been I've I've been very lucky with the jobs that I've had throughout the years. Um, never had to work in a restaurant business or anything like that. Yeah, uh, doing so, what you love, though. By the way. Yeah, and as far as with the the bosses that I've had and the atmospheres that I've been in, the environments that I've been in, uh, around great people. Uh, it's definitely shaped me to who I am now. So I thank everybody who's been a part of that. Uh, but with the welding stuff, when when I called up JC and he was like, nah, don't come in Friday because Friday's the end of the week. Just come in on a fresh start on Monday. Uh, we could just kind of talk about things. So Monday came around and I went in at 8 o'clock. He was like, we work from 8 to 4.30 Monday through Friday. Um, so I got there 745, 15 minutes early, like you should for, with everything, especially an interview like I was going into. Um, he totally just pretty much kind of went down with the whole rundown with me. And uh, he was like, yeah, we're Monday through Friday, 8 to 430. I really only need you to, since you're going to be learning, I really only need you here at least three days out of the week, at least four hours out of the day whenever you're here. Um, I was like, all right, and literally from, I mean, I stayed there all day Monday, and I've been there pretty much every day since. Uh, I became the main welder uh, within the first six months, got certified within the first eight months, and now, um, now it's just JC and I. Oh, hold on. So what kind of stuff are you welding there? Uh, so what we're welding is mostly T-tops, leaning posts, uh, pulling platforms, casting platforms, but we're we're a custom shop, so we build everything and anything, pretty much. You dream it, we build it. Uh, that's pretty much our motto. Uh, we do deal with steel as well, but not so much because uh, we're working so much with aluminum. We really kind of don't have much time to deviate off of the aluminum stuff. Uh, especially working with the aluminum machines that we're working with. Um, to get into the steel is a little, it's a little tricky sometimes, uh, so to say, because when you're welding aluminum pretty much every single day and then shooting to the steel, and sometimes you forget you're working with steel, things like that. Uh, but, yeah, we're just busting out T-tops mostly. Nice. You guys work with some manufacturers too, right? You have like contracts. Um, I remember there was some, when I was in there, there was some uh, boat builder that you guys were working with. So you guys do all of their T-tops for a specific company? No. Before I started working there, that's that's what JC was doing. Um, but literally right before I got hired, right before I started working there, um, the contract that they had with Sea Hunter uh, was actually terminated and it was just mostly now just custom stuff, uh, and that's what we've kept up with. We've had different companies, Boat Works, try to have us building their stuff, but it's one of those things that, yeah, it takes a lot of stress off of us because now we're building one design for one company, um, and we're getting, I guess we could say, a steady pay, but that completely takes away from the custom stuff that we're doing. And that's that's what we mainly focus on, which custom is what stuff I love. is more more fun, right? I mean, that's what we were doing in the beginning was one hundred percent customizing. I mean, I know just building spear after spear and gluing. I mean, 
when we start when we were building the spears, it was uh, 50, 100 sitting in front of us. You needed to clean 50 or 100 pieces, or it, it's, it sucks to sit there and look at something and know that you got to do it again and again and again when you're a creative person. It's kind of yeah. like the, a slow death. But with that, with that, as far as let's say we had 50 spears that we had to build literally from scratch, and we had to take those. 50 blanks and clean them out and it would take us three four hours just to clean them out to prep them to glue them i was fine with that because i'd get into the motion of doing it and you'd knock it out in a timely manner and quality with quality as well um so once you finished cleaning that then you stepped into the next the next step and so on and so forth. And by the end of all the steps it takes to finish the spear, like I said, you bring it to life. So that's, that's what I like making, and that's what I like doing. So when we bring something to life and then give it to somebody and seeing how much joy and enthusiasm that these people get just from receiving a product that I built with my hands was very, very gratifying. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know some of the, you know, we, like you said, we'd make the product, but then at the mm -hmm. end, we'd get a picture back. And I know sometimes you would see that. You'd, you'd be like, no, that, I remember I built that one. I'd... Yeah, so seeing somebody come back with the spear customized and, you know, Christian saying, I, I remember building that one. That was the one that was so-and-so's and so-and-so's. And, you know, thinking about how much time we put into it, uh, the effort that we put into it. You know, I mean, one thing I remember was, you know, Christian would put a, the name on the spear and it would be just slightly off, like it wasn't centered or, or straight. And he, he'd come ask me whether I thought it was okay enough to leave on and just let it go like that, even though it was just a little bit crooked. And sometimes I'd be like, Christian, just, it's fine. And he'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm going to redo it. And that would mean you'd have to go back to the drawing board and reprint every single sticker, relayer the whole thing, start it all over, peel that one off. Uh, and that was just, you know, we would put that much effort into it. You know, I still do, uh, but it was great having you in the beginning and helping out and by, f you know, definitely nobody's helped me with Billfish Republic as much as Christian has in the beginning um, from, you know, putting in hours and hours a week and, you know, putting up with my late schedule uh, which happened to align with his late schedule, but we were grinding out, doing things, and, you know, I mean, we were sucking up carbon dust. Man, I don't even think we had a schedule. We were just... We, oh, were, we just, were just going. Yeah, we were just going with it. Whatever we yeah. needed to do, we'd get it done as quick as possible. I mean, we, we, it was weekends, it was nighttime, next. it was whatever, but oh, we yeah. ate good. Oh, yeah, we ate good on this we side. We ate good. We always ate good. We always had a big dinner. We always had a blueberry pie. Oh, yeah. And a uh, oh, double man, shot. I, I remember kept, those short ribs. Those short ribs in the yeah. oven were freaking. Yeah, I mean that. Well, I mean it was that was awesome. That was the you know the family atmosphere of grinding hard in the beginning of a business that started out of a garage. Um, that's kind of why we wanted to get Christian on the podcast. I think we went through that. It was a good uh, good talk. You know, we started from the beginning, went through what we did, and I don't take any credit for it because Christian would have done great regardless of me. But went on after working for Billfish Republic to helping the family business in the airboats. Snake hunting for as a job, and who else can snake hunt as a job? Um, and then going into welding. What else have you done, just to list it? You worked for a taxidermy place? 
Yeah, I did taxidermy. I was helping out a friend of ours, uh, Raul Taxidermy. If you look him up on Instagram, taxidermy23. The the guy does absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous mounts. If you are a hunter or, or even, I mean, doesn't really do fish too much, but if you are a hunter and as far as a whitetail hunter or any type of hunter and you're killing big game animals and trophy animals, uh, he's here out of Miami. He's local as far as to us. He very he, he takes he takes a lot of pride in his work. Nice. Um, so he did need help because he was just getting overwhelmed with work. Um, this was two years ago. I worked with him for about four months, but I did learn a lot. I did learn a lot with him. Um, I was cutting up my fingers a lot, skinning, skinning and uh, fleshing out these skins, which is kind of the reason why I stopped because I was just trying to do stuff quick. And since I wasn't that experienced, I mean, he he has a lot more experience. He's got plenty, plenty of years um, doing it. He's pretty much been doing it his whole life. Um, but me only being in there for a few months, I was cutting up my fingers and I was welding, so I couldn't really uh, manage continuing to mess up my hands when my hands are what I need. Even for the taxidermy stuff, uh, you need your hands. So I kept cutting myself. And I yeah, was I'm like, sure you yeah, cut I can't. your hands a lot welding? Is that? Yeah, it was mostly burning. Oh, I burning burn my hands. And then you're yeah. touching a dead animal, so that's kind of not. Yeah, and, and just the bacteria, I can't, I can't, I, I wasn't able to continue with that. I mean, it was my choice of ending that. Nice. Well, that's great, man. I mean, so you're definitely a example of how somebody could fish, get some jobs in the fishing industry, snake hunt, airboat, work for a welder, work for a taxidermist, stay in the fishing industry and stay doing, with, stay doing what you love without going and getting the desk job. And, you know, that kind of started with your dad showing you guys how to do that and uh, show that you guys can't, you can be successful building, you know, high quality custom products, even if they're not custom, but, you know, putting your heart and soul into anything that you do in a small industry, staying in fishing and outdoors and the Everglades. Uh, so it was great having you on, Christian. Thanks for talking to us. As I'm sure everybody thank enjoy, you. like, the different things that you were into. Yeah, thank you, man. Uh, I really appreciate you, Chris. And again, I appreciate and I thank everybody who's been a part of what I've become to now. Um, but as far as where I'm at now, it's only the beginning, uh, especially with Bill Fisher Public. I'm still in it to win it. We're out here grinding. I do come over here every once in a while and help out whenever I can. And um, we're, we're going to keep going and we're going to keep pushing. And as far as growing, you never stop growing, man. Keep that's on right. grinding. That's, that's a good attitude, Hey, keep man. hammering, man. Keep yeah. hammering. Camera Haynes, let's get it. Let's get it. All right. Well, great episode, episode two. Thanks for listening. We're out. Yes. We're out. Thanks, Peace. guys. <laughs>